Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. It's good to have you all with us. My name's Mark. Uh, As my wife already mentioned, we are the lead pastors around here. We just didn't show up this summer. Um, No, we were away on sabbatical. It's very, very good to be back. Um, Good to be back with you. Good to be back in the pulpit. It was great to be able to just kind of see everybody and and, uh, connect last week. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be back uh, here. So uh, before I kind of get to what we need to get to this morning, I want to just take a quick second and say a few thank yous. Um, first off, uh, thank you to our elders uh, for uh, enabling Ty and I to go on, on our sabbatical this summer. It was, it was well worth it. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It was horrible. It was awesome. Um, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, come on. Uh, but, uh, but thank you to our elders. They're phenomenal people, uh, blessed and honored to get to walk with them and lead with them and do all this with them. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for those who covered the pulpit. Thank you to Doug covered the most of it. Uh, George, Lindsay, Tyler, uh, and we even got little Jeremy up here to preach. So, um, uh, hobbits can carry important things. Um, he knows I love him, whatever. Um, and so, uh, no, I want to thank you guys. I, I listened to all the messages uh, that were preached this summer and was absolutely blessed and blown away by each of them. If you missed any of them, I want to encourage you, go check them out in the podcast, go watch them online. I think they each uh, individually and together shared important truths with us as a church that are shaping and forming who we are as a people. Uh, and last but absolutely not least, thank you to you all. Thanks for letting us do this. It's sort of a, a crazy idea uh, to just sort of let your, your pastors kind of go uh, for, for 12 weeks Um, But thank you. Thank you that we didn't have to worry. Thank you that you all uh, were awesome, amazing, mature Christians. Um, I mean, man, I I talked to so many friends who are pastors who like left on sabbatical and came back and there was just kind of all kinds of craziness and awfulness. And the truth is there's no more craziness or awfulness than there was when we left. So uh, thank you for that. Um, Now, with all of that aside, let's get back to the gospel of John. Um, uh, real, real quick, for those of you who maybe are, are guests here with us or new or <laughs> you're not guests, you've just been here for the last three months and didn't realize that we've been through uh, John for a hot minute. Um, we've been studying, walking, journeying, slowly trudging through the gospel of John over the last several years. Um, it's an amazing series. It's an amazing book. Um, and, uh, and, and we've sort of been spending our time in it and we're, we're going to be jumping back into John and I want to just make a few comments before we get to the message today. Um, it's important to me that we kind of re-enter John in a way that makes sense. So I want to kind of say two things to you real fast. Um, if you've kind of been with us and you've been used to the rhythm we've been in, uh, buckle up because we, we really, we really need to understand that the gospel of John, it's, it's an account of the life of Jesus, right? And it's a unique account in the life of Jesus, uh, an account of the life of Jesus, and 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 really, it's it's amazing because within the Gospel of John, you really have the, I'm going to say it, I'm going to say this best I can, the entire existence of Jesus in the first 13 chapters, 12, 13 chapters, reaching all the way back to eternity, where where you find out that Jesus was before time began. Jesus was. It touches there, and it, it leads all the way up to his to his through his earthly ministry. And then really, chapter 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there, the, the timeline gets a little fuzzy, but, but, but that last little part, it speeds up because it gets us this point, and then it slows down. And really, the last few chapters, about 15 through 21, are really just a matter of hours in the life of Jesus. We reach the cross, we reach his crucifixion, his resurrection, all of these things happen in these last few chapters. And so my goal was really, here's where I let the cat out of the bag. My goal in teaching through John was to get to John 13 through 17. That, that's, where, that's where we spent the majority of our time. 
What I need you to understand is we are going to move very quickly now through the last few chapters because I don't want us to miss how fast those last few chapters took place. It was important that we took our time and understood the dynamics and the truth and the depth and the, and the complexity of what Jesus was speaking to us in those central chapters of John. But now, if we were to spend as much time digging out all the things, you would miss out on just how quickly these last few moments of Jesus' earthly ministry took place. So, so we are going to be increasing our speed as we move through. In fact, I'm going to tell you, we will be through the Gospel of John in the beginning of next year. If you don't believe me, come witness a miracle. Um, <laughs> but what I wanted to do before we get to there is I want to make sure that for those of you who were kind of new and showed up over the summer, and for those of you who just haven't listened to any of this, haven't remembered all of this, I want to spend three weeks and look at John and make sure that we grasp kind of where we've been and understand the complexities of what's going on. So we're going to spend three weeks and we're going to recap this. Here's the three questions we're going to, we're going to look at. Why did Jesus show up? What did he accomplish, and what does it mean to believe that? What does it mean to put our faith in that? What does it mean to, to believe in that? Now, now when I say that, that, that we, we ought to believe in this, this brings up a question that I think it's important for us to, to, to address that I, I addressed early on when we, when we began this book, but that was so many decades ago, most of you have forgotten. Um, there is a question among scholars as to who the intended audience of the Gospel of John is. They, 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 they wonder, who, who is it that John was thinking of when he wrote this book? He says in John 20, we're going to read it in a moment, that, that he wrote his, his, his Gospel, and you heard it in the video, that you may believe. The question is, who is you? Who who. Who, who, who is the you that he's talking to? What, what I mean is this, there, there's sort of a debate. Did he, did he write that when he says that? Is he, say, is he saying, I wrote that you might come to believe? Therefore being written to those outside of the faith, outside of the church? Or is he saying, I'm writing that you might continue to believe? Writing to those within the church who have faith. And both of these, these groups, it's funny, they, they, they pile up their evidence within the book. The, those that believe it was written to, to the lost would say, well, see all the conversations that Jesus has with, with all these people who don't know him. John included those so that, that people that don't know him would hear those conversations and maybe hear echoes of what's within their own heart in those conversations and come to believe. Others would point out John chapters 13 through 17 are almost exclusively Jesus speaking to his disciples. And so they would say, no, it was written, John wrote these so that his disciples might continue to believe. And then you have another camp that says, no, he kind of had a dual purpose in mind. And he sort of is walking with both. And I just want to throw my opinion into the ring of multiple opinions. I don't think he wrote it for any of those reasons. I think John... We know this, almost all scholars agree that the Gospel of John was the last of all of the accounts of Jesus written. We know from church history that John was most likely the last living disciple of Jesus. And many scholars believe, I, I, would, I would put myself in this category, that the Gospel of John may in fact be the very last book of the Bible ever penned. And I believe what happened was this, that John looked and he saw Matthew and he saw Mark and he saw Luke. He saw these other accounts and he said, there is a vantage point that is missing. Yes, we see Jesus as the, the Jewish Messiah, the one come to save the people of God in Matthew. Yes, we see him as a suffering servant in Mark, come to redeem us out of our lost status. Yes, we see him as the son of man. One of us. But John recognized that there was a vantage point. There was a view. There was, a, there was an image of who Jesus is that can only be seen as you rest your head upon his chest and hear his heart. And so from that place of knowing he is beloved, he writes to us that everyone, hear me, everyone, regardless of where you are, can see him rightly. And so we dive into John to see Jesus, to encounter Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, let's, let's read John's supposed reasoning behind here and see if we can't see this. 
John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Find that in your Bibles. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's Word. We read out of the ESV when I'm here. So if you have a Bible that can switch, if you have one of those little tiny screen supercomputers in your pocket, you can switch over. might be easier to follow along if you do that. This is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, I think John is writing, regardless of where you find yourself today, you say, well, I'm a Christian, I know Jesus. John would say, is there something missing? Come on in how you see him. If you're saying, hey, I'm still exploring this whole Jesus thing, this God, gospel, church, spirituality, religion thing, awesome. Let us, let us put all of that aside, and we want to focus your attention solely, completely, in, in singularity. Come on, on Jesus. So now I said we were going to recap. So if you will, go back to me to John chapter 1. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Everybody say the Word. word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things that were made, all things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything that was made was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's jump down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. God, we rejoice greatly over your word. God, we receive today what it is you would speak to us. So give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, I pray you put aside every every distraction, every weight. Yes, God, even every preconceived idea that we show up to you with. Let us see you anew. Let us see you afresh. Let us hear your whisper. Let us know your heartbeat. Breathe upon your word that we might run with what we hear. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Go ahead and high-five somebody real fast and grab yourself a seat. Amen, amen, amen. If you are taking notes this morning, um, again, this morning we're, we're, we're going to talk about why Jesus came, but if you're taking notes and you need a, a title, a header, I want to talk to you this morning just simply under the title, Darkness. How ignorance brought death and destruction. You see, see, here's the reality, beloved. The, the reality that the Bible makes abundantly clear to us is that humanity had a problem and Jesus is our only solution. 
Humanity has a problem. John 1 lays this out beautifully for us. That, 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 that within God himself is both light and life. But we find ourselves trapped in darkness. Now before I go any further, before I, before I try to unpack the reality of all that, I want to make sure that I am abundantly clear in something. Humanity had a problem. Jesus is our only solution. I, I, I don't want to play any bait and switch. I don't want to try to, 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 to make you think. I think something I don't, so I want to be super, super clear. I believe that Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary for humanity's liberation. I don't think anybody else has. I don't think anybody else can. I don't think there's hope for humanity anywhere else but Jesus. I don't believe there's anything left for Jesus to accomplish for us to be liberated into the fullness of all that God has for us. He's done all that is required for the liberation from our bondage. And he now sends those of us who have become children of God to proclaim this good news of liberation to all who still find themselves unnecessarily in darkness. This is our mission. This is our call. Now, when I say darkness, I want to I make sure that, that we, we, we understand the, the, the New Testament, for those of you unaware, the New Testament predominantly, almost exclusively, is written in Greek. So it's written in a different language than ours, and, and sometimes it can be helpful to look into the original language to understand what the meaning is. This idea of darkness in Greek, similar to English, carries with it the idea of ignorance. So when we see the scriptures talk about darkness, we can know what that means is ignorance. Ignorance specifically of who God is. Ignorance specifically of spiritual, supernatural, divine issues. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear. Humanity, apart from Christ, is in darkness. Without Jesus, we cannot know who God is. We are unaware so what I want to explore this morning is how in the world did we get in this darkness? And if you've hung around church at all, you've already written in your notes, you're like, oh, I know where he's going here. He's going to say sin. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'll say that later. Um, we, we can automatically try to jump to this thing. And, and the problem, I want to talk to Christians for a minute. The problem is... We say, yeah, humanity's in darkness because of sin, and instantly you list all the sins that you don't struggle with, but other people do that make you uncomfortable. You happy I'm back still? Um, we we, we want to we compile all the stuff that everybody else does that we don't like and go, yeah, that's the reason why humanity's in sin. It's because of the liberals. Still happy I'm back? It's because of all those Christian nationalists. That's the problem. Whatever your team is, right, we, we want to blame the other ones and say they're the reason for darkness. But the reality is it is a much deeper, much more complex, much more intimate to each and every one of us issue and situation. And this morning, though I'm not going to end here, I want to spend some of our time so we can understand the problem because it allows us to allow light to penetrate any darkness that may still be hiding in us because there's no reason for it to be hiding in us. So let me, let me try to, as, 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 as simply as I can, explain what I believe is the complexity of this issue. Yes, sin plays a part, but as you'll see in a moment, sin is just one piece of this. The problem started with our deception. Humanity is deceived. We live in deception. That deception produces delusion. That delusion produces depravity. That depravity then produces death. So it's not as simple as to just say, well, it's a sin problem. Oh, the problem, the problem is if people, would just, if people would just stop doing the stuff that makes me uncomfortable, then, you know, we wouldn't have a problem anymore. No, it's much, much deeper than this. And if you give me just a few moments, I want to try to unpack these for us again. Not, not so that we can feel condemned if they're there, but so that we can realize that what I said in the beginning is true. How much has Jesus accomplished on our behalf? Everything. Everything. 
So if any of this is still present within you, I'm not preaching this for your condemnation. I'm preaching it for your liberation. So you can go, oh, I don't need to think that way anymore. That's, 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 huh, stupid. <laughs> so let's understand these. I think as we understand them, we can understand even more clearly how Jesus frees us from them. So by deception, deception is the result of the persons, cultures, and yes, even the religious environments that influence us. Deception is the result of the persons. Now, these persons, uh, this is where we get to get a little weird. Ready? Just a little, just a little weird. I don't just mean human persons. We, we need to recognize that the scriptures inform us, make us aware that there is evil in an unseen realm. And those beings have person. And they can influence us as well. By cultures, I mean the, the, the macro and the micro cultures. We live in the American culture, but we also live in the Northwest, or Northwest, right? We, 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 live, we live in the Northwest. We, 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 we have a culture within a culture within a culture. Your family has a culture. And those cultures influence the way we think. And all of them influence, and maybe most importantly, the way we think about, the way we see, the way we perceive God. Pastor Rob Johnson last week shared a quote by A.W. Tozer that the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Can I modernize that a little bit for us? The most important thing about you is whoever your God is. Because as we're going to see here in a, a few moments, we, we like to make gods. We like to take good things and make them into God. So our, 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 the, the people, the the persons we interact with, the cultures we interact with, and yes, even the religious environments we find ourselves in, these influence us as to the reality of who God is. These impart flawed, fabricated, or downright false ideas of who God is and therefore corrupt our ability to see him and know him. You've been lied to about who God is. Some people, but well-intentioned people, they still lied to you. Come on, come on, come on. Well-intentioned people can tell you wrong things. Can I prove it to you? All of my elementary school, all of my junior, well, junior high, and then the years I should have gone to show us a spiritual entity is manifesting in a physical world. Now, the serpent was more crafty than the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden did god actually say this and the woman the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the tree of the fruit of the trees in the garden but god said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die verse 4 but the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The serpent comes with one mission, with one goal, that is to deceive Eve. And, and I want to tell you, I, I want to propose this, that every lie that we believe about God is merely a distorted echo of this first lie. Let me put it to you as simply as I can. Here's, the, here's, here's, here's what he said. God is a no good liar who withholds good from those he only claims to love. God is a no good. There's no good really in God because he's a liar. He's not really good. He's bad. He doesn't speak the truth to you. He lies to you. And he withholds good. Maybe he doesn't, maybe he has good and he doesn't want to share it. Or maybe he doesn't even have good to begin with. And he only claims to love you. He only claims to care about you to try to manipulate you. He's a manipulator. You say, I've never thought that before. Really have never had the thought, well, I know I'm not supposed to do this, but if I do it, something good will happen. 
I know God says I shouldn't steal, but I need something. So if I just take a little bit over here, it's not like anybody's going to miss it. I know he says I shouldn't manipulate other people, but it gives me what I want. There's good there. Here's what I want to be super clear as well on. Not one part of this sentence is true. Not one part. Every single assertion that this makes is an utter and total fabrication. And Eve, truthfully, had no reason, come on, to believe any of it. God's no good, really. He created everything richly for them to enjoy. Everything he made, he's like, go, enjoy. He gave them everything they needed, everything they desired. When he saw man alone in isolation, he said, that's not good, let's make him a partner. He even was so good, he's like, let's make him naked so they can chase each other around. He gave him purpose, go, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have a reason to exist. Beyond, look, did, did he give them great pleasures? Yes, but he gave them a reason even beyond all that to exist. He gave himself to them. He gave them everything they needed. And what did they do? Believed a deception. He is good. He's not a liar. Death did enter into humanity. We'll get to there. He doesn't withhold anything good from us. One of the things that I'm just shocked at is Eve, Eve is told by the sermon, if you do this, you'll be like God. Come on, religion has continued to tell us that. If you do this, then you'll be something. Jesus comes and says, you already are this. This is who you are. You're believing a lie. He doesn't just claim to love you. He is the only one, come on, who truly loves you. So all of this is deception. Deception, though, turns into delusion. Delusion is a result of these influences marking and marring our interior world. Deception produces, results in delusion. If deception is external, what happens when that external deception moves inside of us is it becomes delusion within us. Were we deceived? Were we deceived? Yes, we were absolutely deceived. But I also want to make sure that, that we own some stuff ourselves that we need to own. We also participate in our own delusion. I had people teach me wrong stuff about God. I made up my own wrong stuff about God. Once deception was doing its interior work, now all of a sudden I'm struggling with this, with this inability to see him, so I begin to be stuck in delusion as well. We are blind, the scriptures tell us. We are in darkness, the scriptures tell us, and yet we still claim to be able to see. And we describe to ourselves what we're seeing. And the issue with this is we end up robbing ourselves of finding the only place where freedom and liberation can actually come. We allow our experiences, our frustrations, our pain, our own personal perspective to inform to us what we think God is like. He let me down. He didn't show up when I needed him to. He does good for other people, but he doesn't do good for me. You might not say it that way, but here, 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 here's what I hear Christians say all the time. Well, things just always work out this way for me. I, was, I met with a friend this summer, and I was talking to him, and was, he was sharing kind of where, where he was with the Lord. He's like, yeah, everything's just going amazing. It's just going awesome. He's sharing this thing and this thing, and God's doing this in his life. God's doing that in his life. And I was like, man, this is amazing. God is so good. He goes, yeah, but I'm just waiting for something to happen. I just know the other shoe's going to drop. What is that? That's delusion. That's being trapped in a delusion that we do to... I didn't, he didn't, I didn't say that to him. Nobody else didn't say that. He said that to himself. It's a lie, though, he believes. Catch this, please, moment. Believes about God. That God's like, well, that's enough good. I better put some bad in there, too. What I need us to see, though, is deception and delusion work in harmony together to produce what the scriptures call depravity. 
See, if, if delusion is what happens when we own our deception, can we say it that way? When deception comes out there and we grab a hold of it and we own it, now deception and delusion begin to work together, feeding off of one another and produce what the scriptures call depravity. Depravity is the result of an interior world shut off from the light and life of God. Depravity is the result of an interior world. Our internal selves, once deception and delusion mar and mark us, once they had taken root within humanity, depravity is what resulted. Depravity is what popped up, what came up. Let me say it this way. Depravity is the terrible tree that grows within to block out all light. Now, now I want to be super clear about this. This is where we get to this this, this, this rub in the road that makes people uncomfortable. Because he, here's the reality. Yes, depravity manifests itself in all kinds of attitudes and affections and actions. But the problem is much deeper than those attitudes, affections, and actions. You see, we, we, we want to focus on the actions now, now, again, it produces all of these things. It manifests itself in all of these things. These things are contrary. These attitudes, these affections, these actions that are manifested out of our depravity are contrary to the image of God we are called and created to bear. You are an image bearer of God. You were created in the image and the likeness of God himself. This is where Christians agree with me. Okay, we're not in the controversial, hard to believe part yet. We'll get there. That's why you showed up. Um, we all, as human beings, were created and are called to carry the image of God. What do we mean by that? That's very beautiful, poetic language, preacher. What the heck do you mean? What I mean is we are designed to show forth who God really is. To share and reflect, and to, to, can I say it this way, imitate his attitudes, his affections, his actions. And yet time after time after time, if we were honest with ourselves, we'd look across humanity, and we do not see humans reflecting the attitude, the affection, the action of God. All of those things that are outside of harmony with who he is, therefore outside of harmony with the, the calling and created status that we carry as image bearers of God. The Bible just has one simple word for it. I've said it a few times already this morning. It just calls it sin. But what I need us to understand is all of that is wrapped up in this idea of the depravity caused by the deception and the delusion. Now, here, here's where I have some grace. I understand the action part of that is the easiest to see. The action, the, the, the thing that's done, I can see that. I see the action that's not in alignment with who I know God to be. I see that action. So therefore, it's easy to call that sin. Also, on top of that, the action is the part most, most prevalently destructive to myself and others, Right? Come on, am I the only one that's ever had somebody sin against me? It's destructive, is it not? Come on. And when I sin against others, it's destructive against them. So it's easy and maybe even somewhat justifiable to, to, to grab a hold of that and to try to get people to see that. But if we don't deal with the deception and the delusion, we are fighting an impossible battle. I'll prove it to you even in the scripture we just read. Now, I'm going to read it out of the NLT, but this is, for, this is John 1, 10, and 11. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, everybody say Jesus. Jesus. He came into the, to the very world he created, but the world did not, didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. You see, that this, this is the proof of the depravity that's within us. Even when God shows up, 
There was an inability for everyone to see me. It's a question that, that, that ponders my brain and bakes my noodle, right? Like, how come when God showed up, everyone didn't just go like, awesome, thanks for clarifying that for us. Come on, have you ever shared the truth of the gospel with somebody and they just go like, yeah, no. What is that? It's depravity. What is that? It's, it's deception and delusion working in harmony to grow this terrible tree that blocks out the sun. It blocks out the light. It blocks out our ability. Sure, the sun's still there. Sure, it's still shining, but I can't see it. So therefore, I'm left void of the light and the life that I need. I'm left, come on, beloved, in darkness in ignorance to what he's really like. I'm left judging shadows and smoke and the, the, the tales of others to kind of try to get an idea of this. But ultimately, I'm left not knowing. We have to go beyond. This is, this is why we have to go beyond as Christians just looking at behavior modification. in others as well as in ourselves. I think, I think for the most part, if I'm going to be honest, I think over the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, I've seen a shift within Christians to sort of understand that, like, hey, we can't just be going after people for behavior modification, right? If they're lost, it's not about telling them to, like, stop sleeping with that person or stop drinking that stuff or stop shooting up that stuff or stop snorting that stuff or stop saying that stuff or stop watching that stuff or stop voting for those people, right? It's, it's we've got to get... We, we, we recognize, no, we've got to preach the gospel to them. I've seen that shift. Have you, have you, would you bear witness to that? I think I've seen that shift as it relates to our external, outward-focused efforts. But if I'm going to be really transparent, I haven't seen any shift in our internal efforts. The, the Christian books I read, the Christian podcasts I, I, I am forced to listen to occasionally, um, the conversations I have with other believers, we're still like, yeah, I, I really got really to figure out how to stop doing this in my life. Man, I know God would bless me if I could just figure out how to, you know, give up the nose candy, right? Whatever your <laughs> thing might be. Well, if I, could, if I could just stop doing this, if I, could just, if I could just modify my behavior in this area, then I would be a better Christian. But what we need to understand is that depravity is the byproduct of a delusion and of a deception. You believe something that is not true about who he is. This is, why, this is why you won't hear me preach lots of messages. I'm like, here's the nine things you need to do to do this. Or here's the, here's the 16 steps to have a successful marriage. Or here's the, no, no, no. You, 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 you might need to have a better marriage, but you need to have a better marriage than the marriage you're already in. And the only way I can change the marriage you're in, come on, is to change the people in the marriage. And the only way you're going to change is not by modifying your behavior, but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind to actually see him rightly. See, because this tree that grows up, this, this depravity tree that grows up and blocks the sun, produces death. Death is the result of the darkness within a heart shut off from the reality of God. If Jesus, according to the scriptures, is the light and life of men, and we have no capacity to see that light, then we have no life. And so what is the result? Death. You might have physical mobility. You might be able to breathe. You might be able to move. You might be able to, 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 to be physically active. But the scriptures say you have no real life. For life is to know him. And so humanity has a problem for which Jesus is the only solution. We were trapped in deception. We produced our own delusion. That all worked together to grow this tree of depravity within the human soul, which caused us to be dead. But here's where, Christians, I need you to back me up. Enter Jesus. Come on, how many of you are glad the story doesn't end with and everything's just awful and we're horrible and you just better hope that God is happy tomorrow? 
Jesus enters the story. Jesus steps in. He does not leave us in this state. This is not the state in which humanity currently finds itself by necessity. Prior to Jesus, yes, this was how everyone was, period. Now this is how nobody needs to be. Jesus comes. We call it the incarnation. Literally, divinity wrapped in humanity. The eternal pressed into the temporal. God in human flesh. What did he do? He went, you guys can't see me. You can't know me. So I'm going to come down below the tree line and make myself one of you. So you can see me. So you can know me. So you can handle me. And yet, by becoming one of us, the scriptures tell us a miracle happened. He did not diminish being all that he was apart from us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Colossians 2, 8 and 9 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Hebrews 1, 3, we'll just read the first part. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let me say it to you as as clearly as I can. Jesus is everything God has to say about himself. You, 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 you want, again, we're going we're gonna to talk about all the how, and we're going to unpack this all next week. Please come back. We're going to, I don't normally say this, but I want to just say this. Next week's message will be better than this week's. <laughs> I need, I need us to understand the complexity of the problem so that we don't, we stop, come on, Christians, Christians. So we stop trying to slap band-aids on broken legs. Well, I, I told them they needed to repent and believe. I want us to understand the complexity problem, but, but I, I, I can't just end here. We'll unpack this more next week. Come on, any, anybody want to agree with me that, that talking about Jesus is going to be a better sermon than talking about our problem? Okay? But I want to at least tell you a little bit about Jesus this morning. He's everything God has to say about himself. He's all that God wants you to know about who he is, how he is. He's the thing that He's the one that comes and and corrects all of our deception and delusion. If we're willing to let go of all the other stuff. Because here's the problem. Many of us like our little golden calves that we call Jesus. But when the real Jesus shows up, we got to do something with the golden calf. We got to do something with the donkey and the elephant and the porcupine, the eagle. Just found out one, one, of the, one, of the, one of the political parties, their dolphin is your animal. If you're in that political party, switch. That's a dumb animal. <laughs> I don't even understand that. Jesus comes, come on, as God, that was free. Jesus comes as God to display all that God is. And John, let's get back to this, this land where we started. John writes, he says, so that we might believe. He wants us to hear this message. And I, 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 I I love this verse. It's not in John. It's actually in another book that John wrote called 1 John. I'm going to read you out of the Passion because I can. This is the life-giving message we heard him share, and it's still ringing in our ears. We now repeat his words to you. God is pure light. You will never find even a trace of darkness in him. You want to know how you deal with the darkness within you? You be in him, and he bees in you. And in him there is no darkness. He displaces darkness. I love the way John says it in John 1, right? Like, the the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't comprehend it, can't overcome it, can't stop it, can't do anything about it. 
You want to know how you fix your addiction? You stare at the light. You want to know how, how you overcome these, these, these habits and hang-ups? You, know, you stare at the light until it displaces the lie that you believe that leads to that behavior. This is why I tell people, and please hear me, I, I, went, I was a part of the recovery community. I, I went through the 12 steps. I was, I was a part of it for about two years. That is why I say it's a wonderful place to start. It's a horrible place to end because it still leaves you as an addict. And Jesus does not just confront your addiction. He transforms you so you are no longer an addict. He brings true and complete and full liberation. The light displaces the darkness. Come on, somebody. Jesus climbed into our deception and delusion. He took on our depravity and, yes, even our death. And he exposed them all as nothing. They are powerless. They hold, listen, they hold no authority in your life whatsoever. Let me say it a different way. You owe them no allegiance. You go, well, my grandma taught me this is how God was. I love your grandma. She might have been wrong. But my experience, I've only ever seen this one. Your experience is wrong. But I've always been. You're wrong. You owe no allegiance to that. Let it go. I know, I, listen, 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 I know. We want it to be more complicated than that. It's not. Just let it go. Just let it go. The Bible calls that letting go repentance. We admit and we abandon. I always thought God was like this. He's not. Pastor, I would really like it if you could make it 19 steps so I can fail at the fourth one and still stay in my sin. I know. I would too. It's much easier to keep being a jerk. But he's not one. I used to think he was. It's what gave me right to be one myself. Oh, I'm the only Christian willing to admit that? You guys suck. Um, going back on sabbatical. Um, Right? We, we, we make God out to be like this, so now I can be like that. And when I realize he's not like that, uh-oh, I can't be like that either. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to protect myself. Did Jesus try to protect himself? <laughs> I hung out with a friend this summer. He's kind of going through some, some uh, theological reawakening. And, and uh, he said, man, I'd really like to get together and talk to you about, about this. <clears throat> and I haven't seen him in years. Actually, saw him in another state. And we... We uh, were hanging out, and he said, I'm really struggling with something, and I just can't get over it. I just can't get over this question that I keep, I keep feeling like the Lord is asking me. And, and you got to understand, this friend of mine was a very, very hyper-conservative. He was a part of like the very right, you know, kind of right-wing, uh, if we can get everyone to vote Republican, America will be saved, because to be Republican is to be Christian, and God's just completely rocking his world and all that, because uh, none of that's true. And... Um, <laughs> I asked him, I said, well, how, how is it you got to this place? And he said, well, I'm still wrestling through the first question that I, I felt like the Holy Spirit asked me. Um, he said he was praying for victory for our military over other nations. And, and, and he felt like the Holy Spirit said, um, who would Jesus bomb? <laughs> and he goes, I haven't been able to figure out the answer to that question yet. And I said, I think I know. And he goes, yeah. I said, nobody. And he goes, I, I'm afraid that is the answer. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you should stop praying for those bombs. Um, see, we, we want to grab a hold of these ideas that lets us be like we want to be, makes us feel protected and safe. And yet when we realize that's not who God is, it gives us freedom to not have to be that way anymore. And the reality, and this is the good news that I want to tell you, the reality is all of those things that you think are keeping you safe, they're all masks. They're not who you really are. They're characters you've learned to feel comfortable playing, but you don't have to play them anymore. You, you can be who God created you to be, free from all of that baggage, free from all of that pretending, 
free from all of that caricaturing you do to yourself. You can just be his. I can tell you this because John tells us that all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the right, the right to become children of God who are born, come on, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are free in him, whether you like it or not. Let's stand to our feet. I want to invite each of us, each of us, all of us, individually, corporately, those here, those listening, those watching, whatever, into this journey of discovering who he is, of seeing him, of knowing him, of having, come on, as uncomfortable as this can be, having all of our deception and delusion exposed in the light of his beauty and his grace and his truth. Jesus came, the scriptures tell us, full, full, complete, maxed out in grace and truth. That's what's coming your way this morning. Grace and truth. The grace to receive the truth, the truth to live in grace. I know, I know, I know, I know what I just said. It made some of you uncomfortable. You're free whether you like it or not. That, 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 that cell you're living in, the door's open. I don't say that to diminish your pain or suffering or the hardship that you face in being in that prison. I say that again, not for your condemnation, but for your liberation. John wrote this book so we would see him rightly. So we would, we, would, we would be able to behold Jesus. And in beholding, we become like him. Our status as image bearers remains, but our capacity to reflect his image is, is distorted by the deception, delusion, depravity, and yes, even the death that we experience. Today, the good news is that Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary so I call all of us, all of us, those who think you're on the inside, those who think you're on the outside, those who are on the outside, but you think you're on the inside, those who think you're on the outside, but you're actually on the inside, those who don't even know what the inside of the outside is. All of us. I call all of us to repent, to admit and abandon the false notions, the deception, come on, whether you learned it from somebody else or whether you figured it out on your own, I'm here with good news. It's wrong. But Jesus, he steps in, he climbs inside of our experience and he blows it up from the inside. He exposes it as nothing a house of cards, a sham. He sets us free. Call all of us to repent, to admit and abandon the lies, to engage in this journey of exploring his goodness and continuing to expose those lies. Listen, listen. maybe this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, and, and, and I'm going to be honest. Maybe this is going to make some of you, and I'm good with this, feel like you need to find a different church. That's fine. I know I still have lies about him that need to be exposed. I don't know of any of them. I'm not like secretly keeping pet lies in my life. Like, well, I just like this one. <laughs> but I've walked with him long enough to know there's more goodness in him that I haven't seen yet. So that's why I say I'm calling all of us. Come on. All of us. To repent, to admit and abandon. And to believe. We'll get into this in a couple weeks, but believe simply means to embrace and entrust. I'm letting go of the deception and the delusion, and I'm grabbing hold of that revelation of who he says he is. Come on, even when, 
even when I struggle to believe it, even when my experience tells me I'm stupid for believing it. Here's a tough one. Come on, come on. I need, I need an amen from some Christians. You know what I'm talking about. Even when my own behavior tells me it's false, I'm grabbing a hold of who he says he is. That's what it means to be children of God. Not born of my own will. I just willed it into existence. Not born of my own flesh, my own effort. No, I'm born because this is who he made me. He, he came. He accomplished. He was victorious. He won it all. I'm preaching next week's message. <laughs> so we're going to respond this morning. We respond through celebration, contemplation, and communion. We're going to celebrate, come on, our good God who has accomplished everything necessary to set us free. Come on, you are free and you are free indeed. I think that's worth celebrating. Amen? Contemplation. We're going to take some time. This is the part we like to skip over. This is the part we like to ignore. But we need to take some time for contemplation. Take some time to say, Holy Spirit, are there some, are there some, are there some, is there some deception and delusion about you that you want to show me right now? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I don't have to be a prophet to know. I know that as I said some things this morning, maybe for some of you, you were like, hey, hey, don't go there. That's my thing. I like my NASCAR Jesus. Come on. I like the idea of Jesus bombing the people I don't like. I get it. I get it. Come on, it's time to let those things go. All of us. It's time to let those things go. Contemplation is the time where we allow Holy Spirit to just touch those things. And the last is communion. The last way we respond is communion. We mean that in a couple of ways. One is we commune one another in community with one another. We have a team of people that will be down over here by this cross with the lights around it. They would love to stand with you and pray with you. Maybe God's exposing some lies in your own life that you want to stand with somebody and believe God to shine his light in. Maybe you've got a physical ailment, an emotional issue, a financial issue, a relational thing going on, something just in your life that you know is not in alignment with God. They would love the opportunity to stand and pray with you and believe God to do a miracle. Come on, somebody, on your behalf. We serve a God who responds when his people cry out. So we would love that chance to be able to stand and pray with you. But we also commune with him in the Lord's table. We take by a method known as a teaching, take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice, we partake. We have gluten-free available on the edges here. I want to be clear, this is open to all of those who belong to him. If you know you belong to him, this table is open to you. If you're still in a place where you're struggling through the reality of that, and you don't really know where you stand and all of those things, you'd say, hey, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, I don't belong to God, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm not going to ask you to come up here and pretend that you want to take communion. Scriptures would actually say that it's not right for you to even do it yet. I would still call you, friend, to repent and believe. Because he's done everything necessary. And you are set free in him. I would still encourage you to stop fighting him. I would still encourage you to stop kicking against what he's trying to do in your life. Repent and believe. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you are sent from the Father to bring us to the Son who reveals the Father, who sends you to bring us to the Son who reveals the Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the initiator of catching us up into the swirl of the purposes and the passion of God. And I ask this morning that you would catch up some of us to new places in you to reveal new things of who you are, to expose within us 
those of us who, who, who are just now beginning to recognize you, those of us who maybe have walked with you for, for, for years or decades, that you would continue to help us see new facets of who you are. Lord, we confess with all, with all vulnerability that it is impossible for us to know you fully. Our cry is that we would know you rightly. We will spend all of time and beyond time exploring the depths of who you are, but we choose to enter into that exploration today to find new facets of who you are. And as we do, we do the only thing that is natural to do. We respond. We worship you. We exalt you. When we encounter you, we exalt you. When we exalt you, we encounter you. And we, we, we desire as a people to be lost in the swirl of exalting and encountering you. We rejoice in you this day. We celebrate all that it is you would speak to us and reveal to us. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.